This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Skulls and Sheets and Winter Puzzles, the origins of riddling. It's the festive time! <laughs> it is the festive time. Um, it's very nearly the winter solstice, or it will be when this episode airs. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that the Marie Floyd will ride forth very soon. Yes. But more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, obviously, uh, we are kind of... We wanted to get into the sort of the the season, the season as it were to start to celebrate and things like that. Um, now riddles are something that both Jules and I really really enjoy, um, but weirdly enough, it's not something we've ever really discussed on the show. Um, and since they are a very seasonal activity. Um, we thought that now would be the best time to do an episode all about it. Definitely. And it's a little bit odd that we haven't really touched on them before, simply because I think we've at least mentioned every single other literary device you can come up with. <laughs> this is Anything to do with words, we've, we've, we've been there. Yeah, we've been, we've been massive nerds about it all. I was probably very, very young, but the ones that stuck in my head were when I was nine, my dad lent me a copy of The Hobbit to read because once again, I was scratching around for something to read. Story of my life. (laughs) Certainly the story of my young life. And I was very fetched with the section where Bilbo and Gollum are exchanging riddles. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. exchanging riddles um, to in an attempt to save Bilbo's life as in Gollum very much wants to eat Bilbo Bilbo's not keen on this and so they have a battle of riddles which you know is something that you can trace back through various different cultures as we'll get into yeah Um, and I remember talking to my dad about it afterwards and it became a bit of a game between us to come up with riddles periodically (laughs) um, for each other and to solve them and then to set the other one would then set one I, I suppose that's kind of probably now quite a weird thing to do with your father but that was me (laughs) and my dad and it got to be the point where we could actually just come up with riddles on the spot so it was all about wordplay which I think is what delighted me as a child (laughs) and and as an adult in fairness yes um I think for me uh I I'm pretty sure the first riddle I ever encountered it was a it was a wordplay riddle, um, which basically sort of makes reality sort of you you lose all the rules of reality <laughs> in order to kind of solve it through wordplay instead, um, and I didn't actually really really start to love riddles until later on. In life, I actually really struggled with riddles to begin with. Um, I wasn't very good at them. And then, I don't know what happened. Um, I think as I got older and um, started to appreciate words a little bit more and get excited by it, um, 
I started to sort of figure out how riddles worked a little bit more. And once I got into the groove of it, like there was really no stopping me. I, I just really, really started to enjoy them. Yeah, I mean, it is a, as we'll get into, it is a skill and it's definitely worth one that's worth cultivating. I mean, you don't have to ever become like a great scald or anything like that. But, no. <laughs> um, it, not that that's a position one can aspire to anymore. <laughs> there, there being a, a dearth of thanes and yarls and things, but... Um, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, you could, I suppose you could... Draw, uh, join the Druidic Order because the Bards know if it's... Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm going for the tangent now, which we're not going to do today. It's like, yes, take your riddling and join the Druids. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? Go to the uh, to the to the school... Uh, what is it? To the to the work advisor at school. Yeah. Um, and uh, what are you thinking of doing after you leave school? I'm going to become a Druid. <laughs> right? <laughs> And what are you doing for your day job? <laughs> <laughs> Riddles. <laughs> okay, I think we need another plan. <laughs> backup plan, at least. A backup plan. Yes, um, this isn't really something that you... Well, I don't know. You you can incorporate it, obviously, in writing and in, in film work and things like that, but it's yeah. not... Just riddling by itself is not, not a paid occupation. We, sh- we not, shouldn't really not yet. To say this. Not I think yet. the point we're trying to make is that it used to be a paid occupation. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, who knows? In these post-apocalyptic times, perhaps perhaps riddles will become the new thing. Yes, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a look at where riddles come from. Um, as always, I like to start with the etymology because I am a bona fide word nerd. So mm-hmm. the word riddle comes from a common Germanic verb called ridana which mm-hmm. is where we also get the word read. Um, it goes through a few permutations in Old English, etc. And it literally means to interpret or to guess. So the word riddle means to interpret or to right. guess. But then so does the word read, which is very interesting, in my opinion. <laughs> it's interesting if you're a complete nerd, OK? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I support your nerdiness. Thank you. <laughs> So a riddle is usually a statement, a question, or a phrase which has a double or a veiled meaning, um, and it's put forward as a puzzle to be solved. Yes, it's generally a basically a verbal puzzle. It's a word play. It's it's kind of a game. Um, there are two main types, um, which is something I didn't realise there were actual designations for these two types. But there okay. you go, you learn something every day. Um, <laughs> the, fir- the, the first one is. I suppose the slightly more highbrow one, which is an enigma, Mm -hmm. which relies on allegorical or metaphorical language and requires some mental ingenuity to solve. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, It's not really lowbrow, but it's in some respects simpler, um, but you still require a fair bit of mental flexibility, is the conundra, which they're basically questions that rely on punning either in question or the answer in order to solve them. Right. Okay. We will do examples of this a bit later on. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think the first one, uh, the first kind of riddle I ever had to solve was a a conundra riddle, which... (laughs) (laughs) It took me a while to figure out the formula, that's for sure. So I guess the big question is, why are riddles so popular? 
Yeah. Um, okay, so you might be listening to this and thinking, I have never solved a riddle or even wanted to for my entire life. What do you mean they're popular? Um, <laughs> and that's a legitimate viewpoint. But riddles appear in historical record for thousands of years in pretty much every known culture. And certainly in every culture we've got any sort of riddle riddle we've got any sort of written record for you will find yeah. riddles um in there either as games as jokes as learning points as proverbs as, as various other things so yeah you know, if there is a rich nuanced spoken language attached to a culture there are riddles just as surely as there are jokes yeah but this is where it gets interesting um because to an extent language shows how we engage with reality Games that play with language also play with our interpretation of reality. So riddles very specifically shift the boundaries of what is known and suggest that not all of it is as you expect it to be. Yes, which I think is something that particularly, you know, word nerds, um, yes. people who like linguistics and things, uh, that particularly delights them. But also humans are problem solvers and we derive a great deal of pleasure and satisfaction from solving puzzles as in mm. there is literally a, a, you know we, we get the little rat in a maze reward the reward center <laughs> on our brain fires up when we solve a riddle or a puzzle um so riddles are an intellectual pleasure and if you are a word nerd this isn't especially especially so um, yes. You only have to look at sort of how people can get really into things like crosswords, which kind of ticks this, a similar box. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th there is there is that absolute sense of pleasure when you get something right and you're like, hoo, 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 and then you <laughs> particularly with a crossword and you start to put it in and watching the puzzle unfold and become clearer as you work. Yeah. Um, and helping that also that also helps inform you know the rest of it there is a great sense of pleasure i think that comes with that yeah what's interesting about that is obviously that reward center in our brain is supposed to encourage us in evolutionary terms to keep doing activities which will be beneficial to us to get better at doing those activities so you run a race and you do well you get a little buzz you know mm -hmm. um, yeah you solve a problem you get a little buzz and you, you you eat some sugar, which is very, very calorific. But, you know, your body's kind of like, oh, yeah, this is good food because it's got lots of calories. You might survive the winter. You get a little buzz or get a big buzz. buzz, depending on how much you've eaten. <laughs> um, the reward centre is not always on point, got to say, guys. But uh, I have to say the word thing is really interesting because what evolutionary process said that you need to keep playing with language and you need to make it versatile and robust and flexible in this way and it's not just the problem solving i think it's the language itself mm. so either uh, uh, the only thing i can think is that by communicating and most of our communication is verbal yeah um or you know sur our surface level communication is verbal is the fact that in order to communicate more effectively it made us more effective as a group together yes and that made our survival greater ergo Whenever you do something that encourages this language development, this skill, you get the little buzz of reward because it is an evolutionary advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the purpose in the end is to play with boundaries, but ultimately to affirm them, I think. Yeah. And that's language boundaries. It's intellectual boundaries. Um, and, you know, it's also, I think, social boundaries as well. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the we were talking about scalds and bards mm. and and Ovis earlier, um, <laughs> and we've talked about poets and bards and things before. But basically, the wordplay, the ability to say something that would potentially be offensive to someone of greater status in mm. a way that they can actually accept it and might therefore change their behaviour or rethink policy yeah. is a great skill. Um, I mean, which actually, is why they were valued. I mean, just an example of this, Henry VIII, um, he, he had a, a very beloved jester and uh, they would actually call on the jester to deliver bad news to him. Yes, bring in the licensed fool. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, there was that was just a, a good way of... Um, <laughs> of keeping him calm. <laughs> I think there's also something to be said for if you present something in riddle form and someone has to work in order to get the answer, the answer yeah. tends to stay with you more. Yes, I agree. So th- that is incredibly impactful. Um, so... Just very quickly, uh, as we sort of get into riddles, we've got to kind of talk about the sort of the family a little bit. So I think we should have a little word about jokes, proverbs and puns. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's fair to suggest that the same drive behind the need to make jokes, which is a very human one, mm-hmm. is also behind the drive to make riddles. I mean, on one hand, you're going for humour, you're trying to make people laugh. With riddles, you're probably trying to make them think. You might be trying to make them laugh as well. There is crossover. Yeah. Um, because once again, it's playing with the boundaries of how we perceive reality. Yes. Um, some jokes are funny because they are riddles, usually conundra, because it's a mm-hmm. wordplay, it's the whole punning thing. Yeah. But obviously not all jokes are riddles and not all riddles are jokes. But, the, you know, it's a Venn diagram with a fair bit of crossover in the middle. Yeah. There's often a perception that puns are inf- are an inferior form of humour. Um, in reality, this simply isn't true. Uh, while there are feeble puns, and it's traditional to groan over them, um, <laughs> and they may well make your teeth hurt rather than make you laugh, a pun is a play on words either based on a similarity of spelling or a change of context or the switching out of homophone words. If you can't appreciate the occasional good pun, chances are you're looking at language too rigidly i i do quite you know it's for me it's the there's no such thing um you know as puns are not the lowest form of humor but uh (laughs) bad puns hurt (laughs) yeah they absolutely do on the other hand um it's something i think my yeah i was talking with my cousin about this recently and he said you know he's very suspicious of people who can't appreciate puns at all because that suggests that they want the world to be exist in one specific format and Mm. you know people who tend to be very rigid in their approach to language are also very rigid in their approach to everything else so Mm. uh, just just because language you know helps shape your perception of reality so being able to look at things from different viewpoints is intimately tied up with your ability to use language fluidly Mm. and you could argue that if people just don't you know they're not good with puns on any level that they are just wedded to this single worldview which makes them depending on what position they're in makes them potentially dangerous people yeah yeah i can i can see that um i think i think a lot of people disliking puns is because it's kind of you're almost expected to dislike puns (laughs) 
Yeah, but normally it's a dislike with a, oh God, that's terrible. And I do that quite a lot. Um, yeah. But there's always a few that get through and I'm like, actually, that was pretty damn funny. Yeah. <laughs> I I had, because I used to run, well, I, I still do. I run the, the folk choir. Um, we, we would actually often have uh, sort of little puns and things like that and, and puns and jokes and particularly um, one guy uh, was constantly coming up with puns and for the most part they were terrible but every now and again we all had to be like now nah, we're gonna have to give you that one because uh, we'll give you a pass on that one because <laughs> it was actually very good yes so for every, te- every 10 terrible puns there's one that is an absolute perler you know it's, it's, it's gold dust yeah, and I've, it's also got to be said that actually the speed in which you deliver a pun can actually also um, affect how well it's received. Definitely. If it happens very, very fast, people tend to appreciate that because you've obviously come up with that just on the fly, and people like that, I think. Definitely. And, you know, Madeline and I have talked before, I've very specifically talked about my inner pun demon, which needs to be appeased with a certain number of puns. <laughs> As in, there are things where I'm like, I'm not willing to let that go because the inner pun demon approves of it. <laughs> the pun demon has, says, has said it's all right. And to be honest, I, I don't think we could abolish, uh, you know, puns seeing as... Ha- how many we've ended up using in um <laughs> in our dissecting dragons titles absolutely all of which are to appease our inner pun demons which require yes. regular sacrifices yes of, of, <laughs> of spoken language um so i mean we haven't really t- looked at you know what a pun really does and a pun's main purpose is to show how easily saying one thing can become saying another entirely different thing So learning to play with puns encourages the mental flexibility and acuity with language that all writers should try to cultivate. In fact, I would say that everyone could benefit from cultivating it, even if ultimately your humour is more highbrow and you're not, you know, witticisms rather than puns. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, like, if puns are okay for for the bard, then, you know, you're never above a good pun. No. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, the final point is a riddle can also be a proverb, which mm. sounds like it should be a, an oxymoron, but it, it is in fact true. You can have a riddle which is actually a riddle and you've got to solve it, and you can have a riddle which is actually a spoken proverb, and it really depends on context. Um, mm. I'm not sure how well this one will land. This is a Russian one, which okay. you know when translated, perhaps this sounds better in Russian, but I do not speak Russian. Uh, nothing hurts it yet it groans um which you know sounds like it's it sounds like a riddle doesn't it but it Mm. it can refer in proverbial terms to someone who is a hypochondriac Ah. but in riddle terms apparently the answer is a pig now i've never heard a pig groan but maybe groan is kind of like the translation and the word is actually kind of more akin to grunt yeah yeah or squeal or whatever <laughs> ah that's really really interesting and you're right that we do we have lots of little proverbs which are actually um you know uh sort of little sayings but um 
are also kind of yeah they're either they're usually enigma or some of them are conundrum i'm thinking of the irish one it's for to please herself the cat purrs which is a way of saying well there's no knowing what that person's going to do in proverbial terms but in riddle terms it's like we don't actually know why cats purr (laughs) we literally don't know and maybe we're wondering about the wrong thing in the first place. Yes. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm going to spend all day now thinking of different sort of language phrases where, which are actually riddles or puns. <laughs> um, this, is, this has changed everything. Um, I, in fact, like, I actually, I came up with, with one of my own, um, which is... Uh, in one of my children's books uh which is um bad news are like bad news are like crows they never come alone yeah <laughs> i i phrase that really badly it does sound better in the book i promise <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's actually talk about some famous riddles so these are ones that you might be familiar with um or perhaps not. So there are the, um, the these that we're going to talk about. These are riddles which have appeared in many cultures and have cross-pollinated across great distances because they're that good. Um, either the ideas were common or like jokes, but basically once it gets going, um, you can't stop how far it will travel. You know, it, it clearly has a high impact. Yeah, definitely. And it's okay. uh, what's... <laughs> It just interests me that these have been going for thousands of years and people are still telling approximations of these riddles even now. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's go through them. I'm, I, I know some of these, I don't know others. So, um, Jules, will you play Riddle Master? <laughs> With pleasure, always. <laughs> um, okay, so the Riddle of the Sphinx. If I say the Riddle of the Sphinx, I think people assume something really, really complicated. But it's actually a play on a riddle that has clearly been going for thousands of years. Mm. Um, And you will have heard this. I'm certain you'll have heard this. Um, The Muppets did a version of this, for God's sake. Yeah, Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure that this was one of the first riddles I ever encountered. Because, well, we lived in Egypt. So I think someone said, aha, the riddle of the Sphinx, how topical. (laughs) It goes, this is uh, an example of it, and it can be phrased in slightly different ways. It goes in the morning on four feet, at lunchtime on two, in the evening on three. Yes. Um, So Madeline, perhaps you'd like to solve that one. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, so it's it's man. Um, Yes. It's man, uh, the ageing process of man on on four, because you're crawling in sort of, and then in in sort of your sort of teenage and adult life, you're on two feet. And then finally, as you get older, you need a walking stick, so it becomes three. Yep. Yep, definitely. yeah, I, I, the weird thing is, every time I hear this riddle, I hear it in Kermit the Frog's voice. <laughs> because and of every the time you talk about version. Kermit the Frog, I think of that Kermit the Frog meme. Yes. <laughs> you know, the one with the dark figure. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah. <laughs> tangent. I can see the tangent and I'm going to just walk past it. Yes, good, um, sensible. <laughs> Okay, let's look at the next one. The next one is the year riddle, which is one that, because of how it's phrased, mm. most people will go, what? 
Um, but you have to bear in mind that calendars and things have changed since it was originally written thousands of years ago. It's yes. found right across Eurasia and there's a Sanskrit Rig Veda version, which is, it basically describes a 12-spoked wheel upon which sound 720 suns of one birth. So your maths needs to be relatively good. Oh no. <laughs> but if you think, start off, the thing with riddles and and solving riddles is breaking them down. So the first part, a 12-spoked wheel. Well, that's the wheel of the year, 12 months in a year. Yeah. 720 sons of one birth. Well, that's clearly periods of time within the space of that year. Um, what Where this is confusing is because if they'd said 365 sons of one birth, you'd be like, oh, well, that's days, isn't it? 365 yeah. days in a year. But because calendars have changed... And the fact that they're counting as days and nights as mm. different things. Um, basically, you're looking at 360 days and 360 nights of one year because that is how they worked out the calendar. Right. Does that make sense? So this is, yes, it does make sense. But this is definitely a riddle which um, is uh, has been affected by the passage of time, I guess you could say. Definitely. I have seen more <laughs> I've seen more modern versions of it where they've just changed the numbers and literally mm. just said three hundred and sixty five sons of one birth or three hundred and sixty five children of one birth. Right. Um, which I think makes it a little bit easier to solve for us now with our understanding of the calendar. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Um, okay, the next one I like is it's a Veronese riddle, or at least the, the version I'm going to say is the Veronese riddle. And I've seen it, I've seen a medieval version of it actually, I think. Um, okay. You've got to think, what you've kind of got to think about is this is very metaphorical. So you can't assume oh what's being said is actually what you're, they're talking about. So here it is. In front okay. of him, he led oxen. White fields he ploughed, a white plough he held, a black seed he sowed. Oh, Lord Almighty! <laughs> so in front of him... Oh, God, I need to see this written down. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard this one. In front of him he led oxen. White okay. fields he ploughed, a white plough he held, a black seed he sowed. Um... If you were to say in front of him he led oxen, well, think about instead of oxen, instead of a team of ox ploughing a field, think about your hand. Okay. And now imagine that instead of it being a white field, the white field, the the emptiness that he's about to plough is actually a sheet of parchment. Oh, okay. All right. So this is about sort of putting down revolutionary ideas or something like that. No, it's just about writing. Just oh, imagine, okay. imagine a monk or, or whoever with a, a quill pen, a white plough, yeah. and a black seed he sowed. Well, that's the words in ink. Yeah. I thought Again. of it as seeds, like the seed, the, uh, you know, an idea or the seeds well, of rebellion. Yeah, I'm sure there's there's other things. I mean, black seed, yeah. In theory, it could just be words or it could be ideas because writing things down tends to make them quite durable. <laughs> mm. um, and yeah, you could definitely give it a political slant if you wanted to. 
But yeah, that's quite a famous one, apparently. Okay. I've never heard that one. That's that's good. I like it. Okay, this one this one made me go ooh the first time I read it. Okay, all right. But this is this is a ge- a Germanic version. I won't read it in German. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but again, once again, you cannot take anything at at face value. You kind of got to think, okay, what has this? What has that? Okay, so okay. two legs sat on three legs and ate one leg. Then four legs came and took one leg from two legs. Two legs took three legs and with it struck four legs, so that four legs let one leg go. Okay, so I assume what's happening here is that someone has come in and sat down on a stool to eat something and a dog has arrived and taken one of the legs of the stool and the owner has chased the dog to get the leg back. That's really, really close. So two legs sits on three legs. Yep, a person has come in and sat on a three-legged stool mm-hmm. and ate one leg. So he's eating one leg. So oh, thinking... he's eating like a, a leg of like a like a leg, a of, leg lamb of lamb or, or something pot. like that. Yeah. yeah. And then four legs. The dog came and nicks the ham or lamb or whatever. Right. And two <laughs> legs takes three legs and hits four legs with it to make the dog let go of the bone. Of the... <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Again, it's quite an old version of a riddle that's been rehashed and, you know, redone for modern times, if you like. Mm. So. Okay. I like that. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than the animal cruelty, but, you know. <laughs> well, it was a German version of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. What the hell is that no, supposed to be? It's like, well, it's oh, well, you cr- know these Germans. <laughs> No, it's just that if there's a nastier version of a story or a riddle, then the Germans will tell that one. That's the one they tell. <laughs> Their learning tales tend to involve things being chopped off. It's amazing the dog just got away with a, a slight smack, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. That's 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 very true. Okay, these are fantastic. I really, really enjoyed those. <laughs> okay, so I think it's time that we address the... Uh, the horse skull in the room. <laughs> yes, um, right. So, I mean, we said this was going to be a more festive episode and we've given yes. a bit of background on riddles and some of the forms that you can use and the fact, you know, if you want to know more, we could probably do an entire series based on riddles. Um, so do some background reading, but it's really interesting. Every culture has its particular style from Babylonian mm. to Greek to Roman to Celtic from what mm-hmm. we know. Uh, to you know modern day to to the various eras within the modern day as well uh, regency riddles for example are really really interesting and quite subtle um, whereas the victorian ones tend to be quite sentimental mm. so um yes do some reading we we literally cannot give you examples of everything today so we are now going to talk about something more seasonal which is the marie clute ah <sighs> So, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's. Um, I think there's several ways of pronouncing it because um, I I always heard it. It was Marie Lloyd. Um, uh, I think it depends Clued. which. Marie Lloyd, Marie Lloyd. It depends which part of Wales. I think I've pronounced it both ways in this very podcast. So yes. So yeah, that's fine. So whether you're going with South or North Wales, it's fine. 
Yes. Okay. So, um, as we've just said, um, Marichloi comes from Wales and it's an old Welsh wassailing folk custom. Now, we've talked about wassailing in past Christmas episodes, in, in Christmas's past. Yes. <laughs> um, so we won't go into that t- t- today, but I'm sure you can sort of dig, it, dig up an old version um, from the lists that we've both got on our websites if you wanted to listen to a, a, that. Um, but it traditionally takes place on the winter solstice, which is obviously coming up. Yes. Uh, so the custom was first recorded... Uh, 1800s. Um, I'm really sorry. Was, no, I've added an extra... <laughs> in my notes, I've like, added an extra digit and we're the, now in the year yeah, 10,000 BC. <laughs> You have confused me. Because <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, I was fairly certain that it was going to be early Victorian period was when it was first noted. And then I was like, was it, does Jules know something I don't? Um, but we do know that it's, it's likely to be a much older custom than that. Um, as with most mumming and guising customs, uh, which obviously date back a fair amount of time. Uh, the name um, has two potential translations. Uh, one is Holy Mary, um, but it is more likely that it translates to Grey Mare. Yes. So Jules, do you want to take us through what is involved with Marie Lloyd? Yes. Um, okay, so a hobby horse, obviously a hobby horse is a false horse. Uh, made of a horse's skull on a pole draped with a white sheet so in theory hides both the pole and the person you know Mm -hmm. wielding the pole with the horse's head Um, and decorated with evergreens and holly and ribbons and things is taken door to door on the night of the winter solstice at each house the marichloid stops and sings a verse of a riddling song demanding admittance into the house (laughs) <laughs> Those inside have to sing an excuse back as to why the Mary Lloyd cannot enter. A back and forth musical debate called Quinco ensues until either the Mary Lloyd gains entry because those inside can't answer the riddle, or the Mary Lloyd is driven away to the next house by not being able to answer the riddle those inside have expounded. Yes. Um, so <laughs> if the Marie Lloyd gains entry. Uh, it is free to raid your pantry and to eat or make off with anything you have, your delicious seasonal foods, your wine, your cheeses, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, we'll talk about cheese very particularly for a reason and you'll find out why. Uh, <laughs> the Marie Lloyd is also free to run amok and frighten the inhabitants of the house. So, you know, for instance, I, I watched a documentary last year which was about the Marie Lloyd because um, I just thought it was interesting to see how people do it now and what they're learning to do. Um, and, you know, a lot of the older inhabitants talked about the fact that they were warned off, you know, bad behaviour because they said the Marie Lloyd will come and get you. So the Marie Lloyd could also be a bit of a boogeyman kind of figure um, yeah. who who could, yeah, would come into your house and, and potentially carry you off. So this, it's actually kind of scary. <laughs> it is kind of an eerie thing because you think of other... Th- traditions where you go door to door i mean yeah there are some really brutal ones but there are also kind of like the, oh the carol singers they're collecting but it's like yeah. no, no in wales we're bringing a horse skull to your door and it <laughs> might or might not force its way in 
eat you out of house and home and chase your children. <laughs> and some of the horse skulls that they use have, you know, cunning strings attached so that they can make the horse's jaw clack open and shut. Yes. And then the person inside the sheet is sort of running around neighing and screaming at people and clacking the jaw. I mean, it kind of <laughs> sounds like fun, but it also sounds like it would have really freaked me out as a child. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for the, <laughs> I should also say that the Maddie Lloyd is, uh, you know, there were usually some other characters who were part of it as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Maddie Lloyd was the one who was <laughs> was frightening. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't like Punch and Judy. I find it very sinister. And they used to have people dress up as Punch and Judy with with coal dust on their face and things. And Punch, yeah. if you didn't didn't. What was it? If you didn't say, make him promise before you let him in not to touch the fireplace, he would rake out all the coals onto the floor before he left. <laughs> it seems like a dick move, really. Massive dick move. What the hell? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to remember anyone from a Marie Lloyd company, it's going to be the bloody horse, isn't it? Yes, it is. I should say for the most part that nowadays, uh, anyone who's practicing the, the Marie Lloyd tradition, they don't tend to actually use a real horse skull anymore. No, um, I think they've got wooden paper mache and things. And, or if they have a horse skull, it's kind of like it's been acquired, not through, you know, it's been sort of inherited over quite a long yeah, period of time. Yeah, over quite a long period of time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, at midnight on the winter solstice, the Marichloid traditionally goes away for another year. Although yes. there are variations, in some regions it's New Year's Eve, not the winter mm -hmm. solstice. Mm -hmm. um, in others, it's several nights of wassailing in a row. Can you imagine that? It's like, <laughs> I could do three nights, three nights of riddling. You don't know when the horse is coming for you. <laughs> it's just like, all right, see you tomorrow. No, please go away. <laughs> we it's beg like, you. <laughs> and sometimes there's no skull and sheet epic rap battle. The married Lloyd is just invited in after singing the first verse, which, you know, to me, that that's, that, that takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> If you're I mean, not, if you're not rap, you know, if you're not battling, <laughs> I've got to say this is one of the most hardcore folk traditions for certainly for the winter solstice. Um, mm. Everyone else is kind of like, oh, we'll do carol singing, um, we'll go around, and maybe we'll we'll play tricks or we'll do good deeds, we'll we'll come in disguise and give you charity. And the Welsh are like, nope, horses skull, horses skull, <laughs> rap battle. <laughs> there will be singing, and then we will eat your mince pies. <laughs> And you better like it or we'll chase your children. <laughs> your children and your old people. <laughs> Lord almighty. So why did we include the Mary Lloyd, Madeline? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, well... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing so hard. So, um... We we decided to talk a little bit about the the Marie Lloyd uh, this year um, because this is something that Jules and I have played around with. Um, I think both in terms of our writing as well, but also in real life. So the strangest thing happened last year. Um, it was the winter solstice, and Jules thought it would be fun. Uh, it was quite. It was sort of quite late in the evening, um, and Jules thought it would be fun to randomly text me 
uh, with absolutely no warning as <laughs> Marie Lloyd. Yes, at um, 11 o'clock at night. It was 11 o'clock at night, yes. So um, hilarity ensued. Uh, now, remember, this was during the run-up to Christmas. Uh, so there were restrictions in place and everyone was feeling... Uh, pretty low and we hadn't seen each other in a long time so it was we hadn't really spoken all day and then suddenly I just get this this message and it's it's Maddie Lloyd um, <laughs> with Jules's name and <laughs> and I thought that it would actually be quite fun for us to read out the encounter the ensuing riddle battle which ensued between the two of us. Yes. Um, I have to say that Madeline took it all in really good part. I mean, how many other people can you randomly send send an epic riddle to at 11 <laughs> o'clock at night and then prod them into joining this sort of rap battle with you <laughs> while you impersonate a, sc- a horse's skull in a sheet? <laughs> We had great fun. So, um, and I do think that this would be quite a nice way to sort of to to sort of celebrate, and hopefully our um, our listeners will enjoy it. And if you aren't, you know, certain of just how nerdy we are now, you will be by the end. So we're going to read you our Maddie Lloyd uh, uh, riddle battle. Okay. Okay. So I opened with this. "'Tis the night of the solstice, the white mare roams. "'She'll knock on your doors, she'll come to your homes. "'I have come for your wine, your chocolate and cheese. "'I roam where I will, I sing as I please. "'I see you have cheddar, I see you have brie. "'You don't need all that, so give it to me. "'I won't leave the threshold till you sing me a rhyme. "'To keep all your cheeses, you must riddle like mine. "'So let Mary in, go on, be a dear, "'and I'll stop with the cheese and the wine and the beer. "'I swear not to touch one of your family.' Or perhaps just a munch, unless you banish me. To which I replied, your love of cheese is peeking through. And I said, if you don't riddle me back, I'm going to have your cheese. <laughs> so that was it. I was invested 100%. Got to guard my cheeses. <clears throat> Lo, Mary, I'll welcome you not. Of my wine and my cheese, you'll not have a jot. If you wish to partake, you must answer me this. What plant is so poisonous, yet compels us to kiss? Why, mistletoe, I'll answer with ease. Now to sing you a rhyme and make off with your cheese. What brings you safe through the cold winter dark, kindled with flint and life-giving spark? Answer me quick, or I'll whiten your bones and devour your cheese as I enter your home. Fire, I cry. See, you'll not have your way. My cheeses are safe, at least for today. Tell me the name of the long-necked creature that once adorned dinner tables, the main culinary feature. Tis fallen from fashion, but still to this day it migrates in winter to avoid being slayed. A swan, say I, a noble bird, with plumage pure and grace averred. I'll still have your cheese, though I'm thwarted thus far. Three shall do the trick, your triumph to mar. So answer me now, what is water but not, hard as a stone and cold as a frost, chilling your drinks and nipping your toes, answer or into your home Mary goes. Aront thee, Mary, not so fast. Tis ice that you speak of, nature's glass. These cheeses are mine, you'll not have a bite, unless you can get this next question right. 
My rule is now ending. The long nights are done. But I shall return when the harvest has come. My crown is leafy green with jewels of red. But what is the name of the plant round my head? Alas, it is holly. Alack, I am done. As oak powers waxes, I am banished and spun. Keep your flesh on your bones and your cheeses safe from sight. I'll riddle and roam on another winter's night. But sharpen your wits, be sure I am by. I'll return once again when the solstice is nigh. Safe at last from that pale winter mare, Whose riddles and tricks threatened wine, cheese and beer. By the fire I'll sit and enjoy my festive boon. But best not be idle, for they'll come again soon. Beware, beware that mischievous fay Who'll knock on the door at the close of the day. When bairns are abed and the night is all along, prepare your rhymes and your riddles and your songs. Old Marie Lloyd can be heard riding in. Lock the door, hide your cheeses, and prepare to sing. (laughs) (laughs) I think by the end of it, we were both probably quite literally crying with laughter. We were. <laughs> and it has to be said that all of that was done off the cuff in the space of about 40 minutes. Yes. Because obviously there were gaps between replying when we had to do real life things. Yes. <laughs> and we didn't plan any of this in advance. We just sort of like, and we managed to rhyme. I'm tremendously proud we managed to rhyme as well. <laughs> we did. I, I was really, and it was actually from that moment um, that, you know, well actually I tell you what the reason I think we were doing a lot of these rhyming ones was that I had asked for your help with coming up with some riddles for a D&D game a D&D campaign that I was running uh, several months before and and that was when we both discovered that we both really liked rhyming riddles Um, so I think that fed into it a little bit, but I am I am super proud of it. And I tell you what, since that interaction, I have been waiting with bated breath for this year's exchange. I'm so excited. <laughs> so, yes. Do you have solstice plans? Oh yes, we do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> do you want to go out? No, I've <laughs> I've got to prepare for Marie Lloyd. <laughs> There's a horse skull coming and I must riddle it. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That is our solstice tradition. Um, of course, we would love to hear of uh, what some of your traditions are or what some of your favourite riddles are. And if you would like to put together a little uh, riddle for us and uh, don the Marie Lloyd mask, as it were, digitally, uh, please do forward us anything um, on Tumblr or Twitter or on Facebook. Um, We would be absolutely delighted to see what you've come up with. Yes, definitely. Now, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week, and I am going to embarrass Jules now. (laughs) <laughs> little meat <laughs> because because the next installment of Harker and Blackthorn is coming out very very soon it's crowned with bone and it's coming out in about four days time on the winter sol- solstice 
And guys, this is the perfect winter winter sol- I can't speak. Perfect winter solstice read. Now, I have loved the Harker and Blackthorn series from beginning to end. This is definitely one of my favorite books because we really get to delve into the mythology, um the folklore and it I mean, Jules goes hard on this one, I think. <laughs> yeah. It it's full on folk horror for this it is. one. And um, yeah, I, I know I flirt with folk horror in other books as well, but this is one where it's like, yeah, no, this is this is clearly a folk horror story. Yes, yeah, it's it's really really starting to come out in this one, um, and I just I love this book, and I swear it's not just because Kieran is in it. Um. <laughs> no, it's so nice to have him turn up and just not be the focus of all the angst and torture for a change. Yeah, he's just there like, look at me, he's he's very well uh, adjusted. <laughs> Everything's going fine in his life, he's just there to support. And I can appreciate that. It's nice to see you happy, Kieran. Um, it is a really, really good read. Um, it's going to particularly, uh, I think, appeal to lovers of sort of folklore. And you might find yourself learning a little bit about... Um, sort of other festive traditions which we've sort of broached a little bit in the past um, but which you know Jules now gets the chance to sort of explore in greater depth so I really really do recommend it guys Um, not least because I really want to be able to hear um, you guys all talking about it so that I can talk about it with you (laughs) so please do check it out remember it's coming out um, in about four days time and on that note guys we are gonna say thank you so much for listening we're gonna catch up with you next week on christmas eve uh where we'll be really sort of delving into sort of sort of festivities um so until then we hope you enjoy the run-up to christmas and we'll catch you guys next week yeah wishing you all a very merry solstice and uh, thanks and goodbye bye You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. 